This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing high fly ball! Built to right center! And the Braves have won it! There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. A walk-off homer from Freeman, and the Braves win it! He is! Welcome to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I am Ricky Mast, Braves Digital Media Content Manager, alongside virtually uh, Braves Director of Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. And Greg, um, this is March, and no, I'm not. I'm not quoting John Rothstein on Twitter to talk about March Madness. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about my Cavaliers, <laughs> and I know you're excited about your Volunteers as uh, as the conference tournaments are coming up, and the big dance will start shortly thereafter. But uh, more importantly, March is Women's History Month, and. We have celebrated that in the past on Behind the Braves, uh, one of my favorite episodes when we had our friend and co-worker Katie Hearn on the show to talk about uh, her 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 uh, story. Um, today is, so as we're sitting here taping this intro, we just finished up the interview a couple minutes ago with none other than Maria Taylor. And I, I, I'm like, I wanted to run, there's parts during this interview where I wanted to run through a brick wall where she had me just fired up and, and just tell her how she, looks at things and approaches things and how she goes about her business and motivating herself and, and just such a pro. I mean, goodness gracious, you see her. I think I said, it said in the interview, she has to be one of the hardest working people in sports broadcasting or broadcasting in general, because goodness, she's one day she's on the sec network hosting something. The next day she's on the sidelines interviewing, you know, Nick Saban or Kirby smart at the sec championship or the national championship, or, I mean, you name it, she's, she's doing it. And on top of all that, she's, She's a big Braves fan. Um, we touched on it in the interview. If you remember a couple years ago, she was the star of our our kind of our hype video to kick off the season. And uh, the, the the famous line that she ends, is, ends it with is, we dare you to doubt us. And man, she just nailed it. Um, so we are lucky to have her in Braves country as, as a, one of our famous fans. And you and I are just very lucky, I feel like, to get down, just to sit down for, for a half hour and get to talk with her. Um, what first impressions of, uh, of Maria Taylor? Yeah, I, I had a great time um, listening to her. And I, I, one of the words you said, I think she's just a, she's a professional. And I haven't met many people who, who are very successful that that don't get after it. I mean, you could just tell, I mean, she, from talking about being told no and, and um, just hustling in, in that, that particular arena where you're looking, there's so many different opportunities and she's in different sports and whether it's college football or pro football or basketball, pro basketball, college basketball, women's basketball. I mean, there's just so many things that she's kind of weaving in and out of 
that that's not easy to do. I mean, yeah, it's a basketball. Yeah. It's volleyball. You know, you know, she's, she's doing football, but still the amount of people and, and the, the pressures and the, the, the time that you've got to put in to learn and learn your craft and do all that. I was very impressed, but uh, I know she's going to continue to be successful. And I was very impressed with just how she's giving back that that's something that you can get so focused in on your career that you think, Oh, well, I'll give back later, but she's doing that now. She recognized what, um, how she got to where she is and she's doing it in the midst of her, you know, very successful career right now. So I was very impressed with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, she's, um, again, the winning, excuse me, winning edge leadership Academy, uh, the nonprofit that she, she founded a few years ago, they're doing great work with that. She talks about that. I highly encourage you all to, to check that out and uh, see the great work that Maria is doing there. Um, and if you're, if you're not already following her on all the, the social media channels and whatnot, definitely follow her on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, she's, Again, she's uh, has her hands in a little bit of everything when it comes to the sports world. She's she's out there, all over the place, and I love hearing about her, just her journey and her path. And you know, when she first got to school, broadcasting wasn't even on the radar. And but then through various trials and errors and whatnot, or, or trying things and maybe not having that much interest in them, she found her way. And once she found her way, she just dedicated her and her everything she had to, to making it happen. And uh, that's what I love about doing this show. We get to, it's, it's obviously the number one goal for me and for you too, is to put on a good show that Braves fans and hopefully even people beyond Braves country can sit down and listen to and enjoy. But on a personal level for me and the, that I've discovered as we've been doing the show, which we've been doing it for almost three years now, is the, the life lessons and the things I learned from listening to guests like Maria talk. Um, those are the things that mean the most to me. Obviously, number one goal, put on a good show. But beyond that, life lessons. I mentioned it to Maria. You know, I will never forget things that Marquise Grissom said when we interviewed him a couple of years ago. And that's I'm pointing him out here, there are others too, but there's just so many things that I've, I've taken in from, from our guests. And, uh, this is one, I, I have a hard time going back and listening to myself talk, you know, I'll edit these and it's just, I just don't ever like it. But the part I love is I get to hear the guests say and really absorb further absorb what they've said. And I, I don't know, is that something you've, you've noticed too? Like when we talk with people like Maria Taylor, that, that you feel like you're, I don't know, learning or learning stuff, maybe if it's not about them, a little bit about yourself or just maybe approaching something a way you hadn't thought of before? Well, yeah, for sure. And I, I think when you stop learning, you stop growing as an individual. And, um, and I think you could say that about a number of areas of your life and whether it's in relationships or whether it's in the game of baseball or, you know, we're, we're stretching ourselves, you know, to learn more about, uh, just this business and being able to listen to people like, you know, who's successful. I think about Chase Elliott and I think about, you know, Maria and think about Jason Isbell, some people that um, Michael Kelly that are, that are successful in their own field and, and learning about their stories. And um, there's, there's a common thread obviously with people who, who make it beyond odds or, or they, they're just successful in general that it, it all people had to help them along the way. You know, you, you needed somebody there to motivate you. You need somebody there to, to give you confidence. And, and so I love, I love hearing that because 
you know, it makes me reflect back on my own life. You know, what am I doing? Am I giving back? Am, am I um, influencing the next generation? And then is there something that I've, that I've held on to that maybe is not, not the right way to think about things. And I think we, we do that. We're doing that as an organization. I think we're doing that as a culture. Um, and there's been different periods throughout our country where there's been heightened times of awareness of questioning why we believe what we believe or why we do things the way we do. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the great thing is, um, being in an organization like the Atlanta Braves is that we do have a lot of smart people. We have a lot of compassionate people. We've got a lot of people that, um, that work hard. And so I feel blessed just to be around those people. I feel, you know, I, I'm, I feel blessed just to be able to sit here and talk with smart, uh, you know, successful people. Cause I mean, if you're not learning, then you might as well just, you know, go put your head under a rock or something because, um, you know, you need to, you need to learn from, because you, you, you never know. I mean, it's like you and I've talked about, if you can't sit and listen to Hank Aaron and learn something, uh, about baseball and about life, then, uh, you don't got many brain cells holding hands with each other. Right. So, so I, I really appreciate those moments and, and, uh, I always look forward to our next, next guest. And I, I'm, I am trying to think, well, what can I take from, from what this person has to say and how is it different than my experience and, and how can it help me grow as an individual? Absolutely. And that's, I, I feel like that's just for, for, for women's history month. We, we knew with that coming up, we wanted to have, you know, we were looking for like, what is the right guest for us this year? And when we came up with Maria Taylor a little while back, it was kind of like, we were both just like instantly, Oh yeah, that's, that's who we want. We know that's obviously she has a strong connection to the Braves. Um, but that's the, that's a person we want to hear from during this month and this time. And I'm just uh, very thankful. Shout out to, to Adrian Williams uh, from the Braves for getting us connected with Maria and working this out because it, it was just fantastic and everything we'd hoped it would be. And I, hopefully it's not, uh, this was part one. I, hopefully we can have her out uh, on behind the Braves again at some point. Hey, you know, if we, if we start having some folks at the ballpark here soon, maybe she'll be one of them. That would be nice. Wouldn't it <laughs> um, That'd be great? Yeah. Well, listen, we we've uh, rambled on long enough and you can now you want to listen to a professional broadcaster speak for a little while. So why don't we do that? Uh, here she is Maria Taylor. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know it's like you, I can't imagine how you ever even have time in your schedule with all the different things that you're doing. So we just thank you for carving out a little time for, for us. And there's so many things we want to talk to you about between, I mean, the winning edge leadership program, uh, your, your career, everything. But since this is the Braze podcast, I want to start with two things. A, uh, so I work with the, the marketing team the in the social media side of things and was part of that uh, the early planning process for our promotional video a couple of years ago that you starred in. Uh, we dare you to doubt us is what I always refer to it as. It's one of my favorite things we've ever done since yeah. I've been here. So just, just wanted to just commend you and thank you again for doing that. Cause that was, we loved that so much. And just how, what were, how did you first kind of become a Braves fan? And what, what were some of your earliest memories of a Braves fan growing up here in, in Georgia? 
you know, first of all, I love that entire, <laughs> that promo because the whole time they're like, all right, we're going to test your acting, you know? And they're like, you have to pretend like this is house of cards, like be angry, you know, cause I'm always <laughs> smiling and super happy. And they're like, no, 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 it's about doubt. And so <laughs> it took like 20 minutes for me to get into my vibe or in my zone, but it totally worked <laughs> out. Um, but as far as my earliest memories, I mean, my mom is from Atlanta. Like my grandmother is like steeped in Atlanta, like only bought stock in Home Depot and Coke and always had season tickets to the Falcons, always had season tickets to the Braves. So I can remember being, you know, a five-year-old. And even though we lived in Chicago for my dad's job, like every time we would come down in the summer and spend the summer with my grandmother, it's like you're going to a Braves game a week or something. We're going to go get, grab some boiled peanuts and water on the way in. For some reason, I have pictures of me in like an Atlanta Braves visor. I was like, did they sell Atlanta Braves visors back then, like in the <laughs> 90s? And, you know, you're just at the ballpark all day. And that's something that, you know, I cherish because a lot of family mem memories are founded in that, you know. And so to be a part of the Braves family or be able to do a promo video or be allowed to come in and do the chop, that's a big memory of mine. Brought my whole family there and being able to lead the chop. Like those things are really special because it started with my grandmother. She's no longer with us, but she started a family mm -hmm. tradition of like following your hometown team and supporting them and buying those season tickets and making sure you're in the stands for better or worse. And we carry that on today. Mm. I, I, so I, I, as people who've listened to this show for a long time now have heard me talk about when I was first getting into it in the nineties, David justice, like that was my guy. Uh, I occasionally will lie and say that Greg McMichael was my favorite player from those teams, but, uh, but, but David justice was my guy. Did you have like, were there any players early on that were kind of like, you know, for me, David justice was the poster on my wall. What was it like for you? So definitely Chipper Jones, like always, <laughs> um, like Andrew Jones, um, Brian Jordan. And then I end up working with him because he did like high school football and he did some, he was obviously still doing baseball, but to be able to work with Brian Jordan when I was coming up my broadcasting career like that was so special to me because I'm like oh I remember watching you and like I love you um so that was like a big dream come true for me <laughs> those were two of my big ones but definitely had a Chipper Jones poster up on the wall and you know super braves geek nerd for geek out for him well it's funny if I if I've heard it once and Ricky's heard me say this a number of times if it wasn't for the grandmothers out there I don't know any of us would have, would have had any fan base because it's they true. were amazing. They were amazing. Yeah, I, I grew up in in Knoxville, and so there was a period of time where I'd come home from school and I'd get a chance to watch the Cubs during the day, and then I'd watch the Braves at night. And so I was one of those TBS kids that I grew up watching Murph and Dale, you know Bob Horner and Glenn Hubbard and these guys that back in the 80s were – you know, they were, they were okay, but, uh, but it didn't matter. They were on TV every night. And there's so many people that have been all over the country um, in all different types of venues. And there's so many Braves fans and it's all because of TBS. So it was, it was great memories. So I'm not surprised to hear that your grandmother, but uh, was a great fan, but man, we appreciate them because uh, I don't know if that we'll be able to say that for generations after this, because, man, that was just a great time. But I wanted to ask you, um, about the mentorship program that you've got going on. That's something that's near and dear to my heart. We're, we've been involved with a mentorship program with Sanford University for the last couple of years, just from a sports marketing program, got a chance to meet a lot of great kids over there and, and work with them. But I was, I was reading about what you've got going on and I'd love to hear more about how you got into that and, and kind of what's been the most rewarding thing about it. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Um, it's called the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, and we've been around for, this is our fifth year, celebrating our fifth anniversary. And we, I actually started it when I was working for SEC Network, so I was in Charlotte. And one of the young women who worked with me, she worked in events, her name was Kareen Million. And we were just talking one day and we were like, man, wouldn't it be cool if like when we were younger, we had an opportunity to network and, you know, like make our way into the sports industry while being surrounded by people who supported us, you know? And we looked around, we're like, there's not a lot of women that work at ESPN or anywhere really in sports. There's not a lot of people of color. Like how can we build that bridge? And that's when we decided to, we literally got a book for dummies on starting a nonprofit and <laughs> went out, called my mom. We're like, mom, can you be the treasurer? <laughs> can you handle our money? And started a nonprofit. And it started out as just a, a mentoring program. So we would have five kids and they all went to Johnson C. Smith at the time, which is an HBCU in North Carolina. And we partnered them up with an individual who worked where they wanted to. So we had a guy who was at the Hornets and, you know, worked in their legal counsel and would create events for them at a Charlotte Hornets game. Um, or we had individuals who were working in the athletic departments at local colleges. And that, that was their mentor for an entire year. And it kind of culminated in a graduation. And we would kind of help you figure out your next steps. And now we have like really what we did before COVID, we have retreats where we would bring in, you know, six guys and six girls and you come to Atlanta. We actually took them to the Atlanta Braves. So shout out to the Braves for being supportive of the nonprofit. Um, we've taken them over to Turner and allow them to see what it would be like to work in sports television. If that's, you know, their goal to allow them to see what are the jobs that a baseball team, a professional baseball team has and just allowing them to open up their minds. Cause a lot of times these kids, they're first generation graduates. So they don't have a lot of money to spend on maybe an internship or something like that. And so for them, this is an all expense paid opportunity to explore all of those career paths. And we keep a very tight knit group. You know, we're not, we're not expanding. We're not huge, but we stay in touch with our kids and we see where they want to go next. We find out if we have a connection somewhere, if there's somewhere they really want to work and, and help put it together. So it's really about connecting the dots and just being there and being supportive. We just wanted to create a good foundation for kids wanting to get into the sports industry. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that uh, you've probably got a bunch of people that are so thankful for what you're doing. I've noticed that obviously, you know, this as well as I do, this is a very tough environment for a lot of these kids that are coming out of college and, you know, they just need confidence, you know, they need to understand and then being able to tap into somebody like yourself and, and understand who's in the industry and know what they got to take, uh, that what it takes to get to get it done and to be involved in that. It's got to be real rewarding. Where did that come from? What, why did you think that you wanted to, to give back in that way? I think honestly, it was because when I was coming up, I just wish that I had someone to talk to a lot, mm. you know, and, and you're kind of you're blind taking steps. And that's the way of the world. You know, that's the way it naturally is. But I always thought that when I had an opportunity or I had a platform that that I would use it to to help other people. Like, I feel like we all are put in certain positions for a reason. And I wanted to make sure that I was using mine correctly. And also, I think because I worked in college football. So I'm always on campuses. You're you're constantly being infused with like this young, youthful, great energy. And all of them have the same question. Like, how did you get to where you are? How do I get there? What can I do? You know what I mean? So I was like, I, I got to create something where I can really like dig deeper with a few kids or, or make them feel as though that they really do have contact and connection with me. And so the best way to do that is a program like this. Um, so yeah, part of it was just like being on campuses and be like, I got, I got to help the kids. I love these kids. <laughs> they bring so much energy to our shows. And then we focus a lot on um, athletes, student athletes, you know, I'm partial to them being one from Georgia. And so it's important to me to kind of like stay connected to that community of individuals too. Mm. 
Yeah. And it's, I love how you phrased all of that. And it's like, even for me to get into the sports industry, it was like, I, I put myself out there a lot. And, you know, I remember one time I mailed out, I was really trying to get into sports radio at the time. And I would put together this package and I mailed out dozens of these things all across the country. And I got one call back and it was from somebody that said, well, we don't have any budget to hire you and we're not going to hire you, but we just liked it, wanted to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. That's, that's great. <laughs> so it's like, I know how hard that is, but just getting somebody just to give you a chance or just to talk to you is like, that's the first big step. That's the first big break that or it was for me anyways. And I, I just, I love that program, the, the winning edge leadership Academy. That's just such, that's such great work. Um, I wanted to ask you just about broadcasting and your first interest in, in broadcasting. I mean, I know you were, you were a student athlete, um, grew up an athlete. When did you kind of first start getting that, that bug or that itch to maybe try broadcasting? What, what kind of sent you in that direction? Well, it's funny because my major when I got to Georgia was actually uh, biology. So I thought I was going to be a team doctor. And then I got to school and I was like, I don't even like science that much. Like, this is the first level of science. I don't think I want to take organic chemistry. So then I changed it to business. And the same thing happened where I was like, I don't like accounting. I don't like finance. Like, what am I doing? And then my best friend, my teammate, roommate, she was in broadcast news. All she ever wanted to do was be like the local Chattanooga anchor in her town. And I went to a class with her one day and just fell in love with it. Like, that's all I wanted to do. And then, you know, Fox Sports South would come and broadcast our volleyball or basketball games. They do like one maybe a season. Now every single game is on TV because the SEC network for uh, women's athletics. But I, you know, walked right up to them and I was like, hey, you know, can I get an internship or how does this work? And, and by the time I was a senior, I was literally driving back and forth from Athens to Atlanta, working at Fox Sports South. And again, kind of like you said, it's just having someone believe in like whatever your dream is. So someone being like, yeah, like we could see that and come and rewind these tapes. You know what I mean? Or, and then I would go over with, they always had a show. Obviously they worked with um, the Atlanta Hawks. So we would go over to Hawks games and I would just drive around with the camera guy and get shots with him. And I was like, this is all I want to do. Like, this is it. So when I say, and people don't believe me, but like, I'm really true to Atlanta and I love this city. It's because at every turn, it's kind of been my start. You know, I started in high school football in Georgia. I started at the University of Georgia. My first internship was in Atlanta at Fox Sports South. Like everything is built on itself, but it's because the city has given me so many different opportunities that I'm here today. You, you've been involved in, I mean, I feel like, again, I just feel like you have to be one of the hardest work, working people in, in sports journalism and broadcasting because it's like I, I, we see you everywhere all the time. Is there anything to, your, to this point in your career that you has kind of been the most fulfilling thing for you or that you look at as kind of like that's that was the like the highlight thus far? It's funny because when I first started this journey, all I wanted to do was make it to the women's basketball tournament. Like if I could do the sidelines maybe for a national championship game and be at the final four for women's volleyball, like that was it. Like that would have been the dream come true. I just want to do enough games to like fill my slate and be there when the champion is crowned. Um, so I couldn't have even seen in my wildest dreams working the national championship for college football or being at the NBA finals this past year and being able to host our ABC shows. So I really do believe one of my highlights is the first time I worked the selection show for a women's basketball tournament, because that's something I grew up watching and something that like is really personal to me. And being able to host that from beginning to end, I always say that's like the hardest job I've ever had in my whole life, learning 64 teams and announcing them and doing every single halftime of the tournament. It's actually starting again on March 15th, so I'm going to host the tournament, but that's a highlight for me for sure. 
And another huge moment, obviously, was Georgia playing Alabama in the national championship. That was my first title game that I ever worked, and it was in Atlanta, and we lost by a touchdown throw, and it was heartbreaking, but it's still something that I'll never forget ever. And working the Rose Bowl before that double overtime game, first double overtime in the Rose Bowl, like that whole season was kind of magical for me. And it started and ended in Atlanta because our first college game day actually started outside the Georgia Dome, and it was Florida State, Alabama, I believe. That's awesome. Hey, uh, I guess two-part question for you. And obviously this is a little intimidating because you could probably interview yourself better than we're interviewing you. So, uh, but anyway, we're doing our best. We, we, we have a good time. That's about it. But, uh, but I, I did have a question for you. So um, with you, you've had a pretty diverse career so far. You've gotten to do a bunch of different things. Uh, you've had, you know, with Herb Street, you've been with them. Um, you know, you've, like you said, you've been on the SEC Network. I mean, ABC Money, I guess it's a ABC College Football Night. I mean, there's just a bunch of things you've gotten a, a chance to do, which is great. Is there like a fraternity with some of the, it seems like some of the women that you guys are all sideline reporters. So I think about Erin Andrews. She was with the Braves early on. She was, you know, in the studio when she first started her career with uh, when I was playing or a little bit after that. And then I think about Holly Rowe and Michelle DeFoya. Is there like a fraternity of you guys? Do you guys talk? And, and um, because there seems to be this niche. So that's the first question. Do you guys kind of interact at all? And the second is, is, are you looking to get out of that niche? Is there something that you desire to do outside of just being a sideline reporter? Not that it's not a great job and it looks like you guys have a good time, but is there something, uh, you know, beyond that that you're looking to do? Yeah, I would definitely say that we have a very tight knit, you know, sorority and group of women who support each other and are there for each other. And even though like I've never met an Aaron Andrews, but I would love to and I feel like we would get along great because we have some of the same experiences and we have the same understanding of just what life is like to be on the go all the time or live on and off of planes and doing what we do. Um, but, you know, I have a very good relationship with Holly Rowe to the point where, you know, I have a home in Atlanta, but we shared an apartment in New York, you know, because we our lives are the same. We're coming and we're going and we don't want to have an apartment full time in New York, but we need it because I have to be in the studio for NBA there. And only someone who lives your life really understands that. And there's other I mean, Hannah Storm just texted me yesterday and just, you know, just checking in like, well, how are you doing? Elle Duncan, you remember she was on the radio in Atlanta, very good relationship with her, always stay in touch with her. And I think what the, the reminder is, it's just like, you're not the only one. Like there's sometimes when you feel beaten down by a scenario or a situation or Twitter trolls or whatever, and out of the woodworks, your girls come and they don't have to talk to you. We don't talk every single day, but when you need them, you know that they're going to be there. So mm-hmm. that's something that's absolutely amazing. And as far as doing something else, I do have like an itch to, I don't know if it's its directing or producing, but maybe just creating or something that doesn't really, it doesn't require my face, but it requires my mind. And I really want to push for that or push myself in that way. because I feel like I've done a lot in the way of hosting or I've done a lot, a lot in the way of on camera things, but I would love to do more that's going to require me to like put a string through something that's episodic or, you know, crumbing up with the idea for a 30 for 30 um, or just being the brains behind something that I really care about or, you know, a story that I really want to dive into and, and seeing where I can get more support for something like that. So that's something that I definitely an itch that I would love to scratch um, maybe in the near future, but it could be off for a while because you know, I stay pretty busy. So <laughs> I don't yeah. want to add too many things, but I would love to do that. I think that that would be so much fun. 
Well, you said something really interesting that made me think about my own life and that you said, I want, I don't want to just use my face. I want to use my mind. And I remember as a retiring athlete, I was tired of using my body and I wanted to use my mind, you know, am I something beyond just my face or my body? You know, can I challenge myself in other ways? So um, I could see why that, that could be very appealing to you. And um, I kind of felt, I felt that when you were saying it, which was kind of interesting. I love that actually. Cause I remember when I was done being a college athlete too, and thinking about, do I go overseas? Do I keep playing? And it was almost the same thing. It's like, I got to stretch another muscle. Like it's time to <laughs> move on and figure out like, what else can I do? Like let's advance to the next, next phase of life. So yeah, mm, there's some truth great. to that. Well, with March being Women's History Month, um, we've, this is now our third year uh, doing this show. And we've, for me personally, I felt feel like I've learned so much both in every year we've done multiple episodes for Black History Month. And I've come away from those beyond the show, just with life lessons, just from listening to people like Hank Aaron and Marquise Grissom mm-hmm. talk. Um, and I feel the same way about Women's History Month. And even yesterday here, I, virtually in the office over uh, over Zoom, we had a, a panel discussion with some great women that, that work with the Braves that Greg and I work with. Uh, Jory, Hannah, Beth, Shannon, shout out to them because they led a great discussion yesterday. Um, and so I was just thinking about that and listening to them yesterday. And again, I'm trying to, when it comes to these sorts of things, I listen, I want to listen, learn, ask questions. That's, that's, I feel like that's the best I can do is just try to make myself better by listening to others. So what can we in the sports industry do to get more women in the traditionally male dominated spaces? I mean, I feel like we've seen some, some progress here over the last year and we've, and, and uh, this was touched on in our panel yesterday, but it, it's, seems like there's a lot more work to, to be done there. So what, what can we do better as an industry to, to help facilitate that? Yeah, sure. I appreciate the question um, because I think it's a, it's a onslaught of ongoing conversations that are obviously going to change our reality. And I think the first thing is that decision makers have to look around their table, look at their direct reports and realize, okay, is there a group that's missing? You know, do I not have the voice of, you know, someone who is Latina or Latinx? Do I not have the voice of a person of color sitting next to me? Do I not have a woman anywhere in the room? And so once you realize something like that, then you really do have to be intentional about, okay, well, the talent pools that I would like to look into when I go into my next hiring uh, have to be that group or has to lend itself to that group. And I think it's also making sure that that your organization is open and honest about that, whether that's, you know, we, we aren't the best that we could be right now because we don't have the diversity that is needed to build and represent the fan base of, you know, whatever sports team that we represent, or it's not indicative of who we want to represent corporately. So I think that that's something that has to be honest, the decision makers have to do. And I think a big part of it is, is creating that talent on the ground floor. So I think that with your interns, because a lot of times that turns into the individuals that you're going to hire. I think retention is very important and we kind of forget that. So are we losing a lot of our people of color over time? Do they feel as though there's a glass ceiling placed ahead of them because maybe they don't relate to their bosses in the same way, you know, that person who is a majority does. They can go golfing with him and feel comfortable and he's going to get the next, you know, promotion, but a person of color, it's like, I'm never going to get promoted here, so I'm going to get out of here. So retention is important too. People feeling as though they have an opportunity to grow with that corporation that matters and being able to show that with numbers and you know follow that up again that's being very intentional and those are two i think those are the three things that have to happen it has to be one the awareness of the decision maker 
Um, you have to be focused on retaining your diverse candidates and you have to really build the talent pool from the ground up. So you have to be really willing, open and honest about what are our entry level jobs looking like and how diverse are they? Because that's going to determine our workforce in the future. And as most companies, you would like to retain those employees and make them feel good and feel as though their future is forever there. So those are things that I think have to be thought about and talked about constantly. Hey, Maria, what, what do you think the biggest challenge is for you each and every day when you go to work? The biggest challenge, it, it used to be, it's funny because now I'm at a point where I'm like, great, I'm here and this is my job and no one's questioning me. But I used to be the one that was questioning myself and wondering if everyone was. So I would walk into coaches meetings and I wouldn't ask a question. You know, we'd be, and it could insert any school name. And I'm like afraid to even say hello to the coach. And part of it is because you walk in and my offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, my director, producer, they're all white men over 40 or 50. And I'm like, how did I get here? And so the, the biggest issue I literally had was like, stop questioning yourself and remember that there's a reason why you are here. And it's important that your voice is heard because it's the only voice of its kind in this scenario. And so you have to speak up and speak loud. And so that was the, the biggest stumbling block and the biggest thing to get over was just like this constant, they call it imposter syndrome of wondering, do you really belong here? Um, it's an insecurity of, am I doing my job correctly? And there's a little bit of baked in athlete perfectionism in there, or like just wanting to be a perfectionist. And so you're constantly beating yourself up. And so one thing that I struggle with still to this day is just giving myself grace and being like, we do live television and we do, you do live radio and we do podcasts and there's going to be slips of the tongue or there's going to be something said wrong, or you're going to get a fact wrong. And anyone can come out of the woodwork to come and attack you. But in the reality is they're not in the arena. And if they're not in the arena, if they're not playing the game, then they can't say anything, you know, they can't, they can't be the ones to tear you down and you can't let that happen. So I've definitely gotten better at that, but it's still something to this day that I struggle with. Well, I think we all struggle with that to some degree. I know when I was wanting to start this podcast, they were like, podcast, what are you talking about? I mean, that was three years ago, you know, it's like four or five years ago when no podcasts weren't podcasts. even a thing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And I'm like, well, you know, so I think we all get questions to some degree. And I, I appreciate that about being just an athlete because I think we all are always measuring ourselves and we, we want to do it right. We want to win. We want to be successful. And we, we can stare at those barriers, you know, more than, than the openings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love the old story of the, the little girl that was trying to learn to ride a bike and her dad was uh, taking her out to a parking lot and he's pushing and, and he says, okay, just, um, just, just balance yourself, keep going and don't look at that pole. She says, pole, don't look at the pole. Don't look at the pole. This big old white park. She kept staring at it and she ran right, right into the, the pole. pole. <laughs> and, and we do that, right? We look at the barriers as opposed to the openings. And uh, But uh, yeah, that's got to be tough. One, one final question for me is I wanted to say, what, what has been one of the toughest interviews for you, especially is it halftime? Is it, you know, somebody like Belichick or Saban or, you know, guys that, you know, they don't want to talk. They're getting beat 40 to nothing. I mean, what, what, what are the <laughs> toughest ones for you? For sure. I think Saban's my guy and he knows he's my guy. I love that man. But every time, anytime we're going into halftime and he's down or some, you know, like we decide maybe like two minutes before who we're going to get. And then like a player makes a crazy mistake or anything mm. happens and the other team scores. And he's like, dang, I still got to do this interview. <laughs> and really so that goes for any coach, <laughs> but they're not going to be focused on what you're saying because they're already in their mind breaking down what they have to say at halftime 
and what just happened on that last play and what needs to be corrected and like probably who needs to go ahead and get yelled at, you know? And so that, those are some of the toughest interviews ever when you've already picked who you're going to interview, you're already on their side, you're waiting. And all of a sudden, you know, just the, the bottom drops out on their team and the, they make this huge mistake going into halftime. And you also know probably that you're going to have to ask them about it. So that's always um, the worst. Uh, so <laughs> halftime, inter- halftime interviews in general are after someone's won a game for the most part, you know, it's a pretty easy interview. And to be honest, my favorite inter- my favorite interviews are the players. So I love to interview players after games. Um, I love the interactions that you get, and, and especially in college players, because, you know, we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-olds mm-hmm. that are just so excited to be there and, like, celebrating the game and celebrating their team. And I just like to be, like, that little small piece in history that maybe they'll go back and watch, you know, after that Alabama-Auburn game. Oh, I remember how I felt. And they can watch an interview, and I'd like to be there and help support that. And um, those are some of my favorite moments, though. That's great. Uh, and last question for me. Um, I just I, You've kind of touched on it various times since we've been chatting here about how being an athlete kind of helped mold you in certain ways into as a broadcaster and a journalist as well. Um, I I just curious, how, how did your participation in sports think help ultimately shape you into the, the, the broadcaster and journalist that you are now? So I think a big part of, and, and you'll get this, um, is when you make a mistake, you immediately want to figure out how you can correct it. And a lot of what being a broadcaster is, it's like, it's the performance at the game. So when the red light comes on, there's no looking back. Like you are live, you have to perform on a dime. And and it's only during that 40 minutes that you can get it right. It doesn't matter how you practice. It doesn't matter how well you recited it before the red light came on. And I think that's the thrill that athletes really enjoy and why they gravitate towards broadcasting because it's the only way you can get the same feeling of right before a game. It's right before a broadcast because you know that that's it. You got to perform right now. And I also think like having a very thick skin because you make so many mistakes and you get told no so many times. I mean, I auditioned at MLB Network. I auditioned at NBA TV. I auditioned at ESPN and got told no before I got the job at ESPN for SEC Network. And you have to deal with that and not take it personally and be like, okay, how do I walk that back and learn from it? And I think as athletes, we're constantly doing that. We fail fast, you know, like we make mistakes and we bounce. We want to be right back in the arena. We want to go right back to practice or whatever. And really the hardest thing is that you don't get to practice. You can't practice for when the red light comes on. You can recite and recite and read and read and know all your facts. But when that light comes on, it's just like, it's you and the performance that you're able to give. It's a mental um, fortitude that you have. It's like your ability to, to not be shaken. And all of those things are important and critical for athletes who are walking up to bat in the World Series. You know what I mean? Like it's the red lights on. What are you going to do? It's on you. <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> A word. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. As we say in baseball, you can get them all out in the bullpen all you want, but if you don't get them out in the game, you're not going to be very good. So there you go. There you go. Well, Hey, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. We, we wish you, uh, uh, just continued great success and appreciate you being a Braves fan and coming on and hanging up, hanging out with a couple hacks. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Go Braves. I love all y'all. Dansby, he's the homie. Uh, Freddie, go ahead and win another MVP. Let's go to the World Series. I'm watching every single game. Like y'all are the highlight of my October this past year. So let's do it nice. again. Let's do it better. Yeah.
We're ready. We're ready. <laughs> We're ready. All Thank right. you so much, Maria. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank All you right. guys. Have a great day. Hey, Braves country. We just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.